Well, ladies and gentlemen, another week passed. Another step towards the slow demise of of the human race. <laughs> In the words, public enemies, Chuck D. Bring the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, circumstances. Eh? I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I added that after uh, after COVID because um, yeah, just uh, it makes a lot of sense. I feel. I feel uh, you know, not enough people will probably say it in terms of like you know general greeting. Um, you know. In the circumstances, I feel like everybody has circumstances in their own lives, right? And um, yeah, I was I made that intro simply because um, I was just like, damn, like, train derailments in the US, like, North Korea doing shit again. Uh, as you will clock in a week, where got some Ukraine stuff as well. So yeah, it's just a. Uh, there's always something, man. There's always something. And, um, yeah, and now, uh, I, I don't know, man. It feels like the Tories are going to have a coup on Rishi Sunak at some point. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just reading a lot of material, and I'm just like, wow, it'd be, it'd be such a... It'd be, it'd be such a shame if we had, you know, I don't know, a general election. Um, you know, I, and I think it's worth it since, you know, the UK doesn't have a... Prime Minister we voted for, Scotland doesn't have a First Minister now that we voted for, um, so what's the, what's the hold up, you know what I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of delaying the inevitable, you know, and I just feel, you know, we just need to, if we have the opportunity to cut shit off, just cut shit off, man, go nuclear, go, well, okay, let me, let me stop right there, I can't say all that <laughs> in terms of trade on the rail bit, and, and North Korea, and say, go nuclear, um, rephrase. Um, just uh, just just switch up, man. Just start clean, start clean, fresh slate. There you go, clean slate. That's probably a better better way to say it instead of going nuclear. Um, but yeah, clean slate, man. I just I love it. I love it. I like a clean slate. Um, I like the opportunity to do so. And um, yeah, I feel like we're just holding on to shit for no reason. And well, I know what it is. People want to hold on to power for as long as possible, right? Um, but it's at the detriment of the rest of us. Um, but anyway, you knew all that. That's why you listen to this podcast, of course. And right, let's jump right in. Um, we have a um, media, two media, uh, books and a life topic to finish off. A uh, very nice life topic, I feel. i um, going to definitely keep this to an hour. I'm going to try and like, uh, you know, go to great lengths to, uh, to, to elongate this episode. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. All right, four minutes before we begin. Email, socials, writing, all of the full show notes, as well as the music for the show, and of course, all of the podcasts under the 5 EPN. Uh, finished our retrospective on Reza on, D- on Ding and Digits, and we did a two piece um, on ISOS that literally dropped as I record today on Wednesday. And uh, yeah, that was about Scissor and uh, Young Boy NBA. 
So yeah, if you're into that, go spin in search of source right in the, right in the description. Uh, and with that said, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where Bruce Willis is diagnosed with dementia, um, so yeah, just uh, big ups to Bruce Willis. Um, you know, dementia is a, a, a just a demonic thing, right? Like um, I literally saw a video today, actually, of this uh, of this old lady, and uh, she was like, uh, she was like sitting at the piano, and the person behind the phone was like, um, uh, "Okay, you're gonna play uh, Moonlight Sonata, right? The uh, Beethoven. Is it Beethoven? I think it's Beethoven." And um, she literally says, like, seconds before she begins, like, as she's raising her hands towards the piano, I don't know it. <laughs> and the woman goes, okay. And then she goes ahead and play it. I, <sighs> Dementia's a crazy thing. Like, I, I don't know. I don't wish on anybody. Uh, Facebook and Instagram will implement a paid verification feature, a la Twitter Blue. Um, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> um, imagine how late stage is this? Late stage social media is now a thing where they're just like, okay, let's just, let's just, we've got everybody's data, right? We've sold that all off, um, all the advertisements, right? Still going, um, but you know what? Let's add another revenue stream and have people pay for shit. That's just demonic, and, and there's no way in hell anybody I know is going to do that. Like, if I hear anybody paying for Facebook and Instagram. I'm a slap him in the face, okay? Just so you know. Fair warning. Uh, Turkey and Syria hit with two more earthquakes. Uh, it's been a year since Ukraine Russo war began. Uh, can't wait for the uh, deluge of uh, of reporting on it. Um, not that obviously it should should have a deluge of reporting, but just the extra, you know, the significance of a year. You know what I mean? It's like still. It's significant every day, right? But anyway. And uh, lastly, Malcolm X's family to sue CIA, FBI, and NYPD for over $100 million over his assassination. I'm here for that. <laughs> every day of the week, I'm here for that. Literally dropped today. And uh, that's a banger. That's a banger. That's a banger headline. And, uh, you know, ho- all hope. I hope they get the- hope they get that money um, because it's kind of fact at this point they had a hand in all of that. Not just Malcolm X, but MLK, Fred Hampton, especially all of that. And one I'd like to talk about um, that Malcolm X story. Um, it literally just dropped today, um, so we'll see how that goes, and uh, maybe if it's uh, see if I see any um, uh, see any writing uh, based upon it. You know, if it's if they actually can do it. You know what I mean? If it actually can be done, I believe it can because I feel like you know it's, it's not that <laughs> it's not that hard to. To explain at this point, um, in this point in history, but um, you know, you never know. Shit happens, in especially in America. Anyway, so let's hop on to books. Um, and to immoral panic. Ah, uh, 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 sanitizing uh books. Ah, uh, just the the moral panic over Roald Dahl's uh recent edits. Um. It should be it should be said, and I actually didn't know this. Um, so I I'm usually a person, you know, just so you know that kind of uh, opts for the mindset of uh, how do I say it? 
like uh, I like if if someone makes something and you know it doesn't age well, then it doesn't age well. You know, um, I found it funny when uh, Disney uh, decided to you know omit and like change it up in terms of like you know Aristocats and you know other other very heavy uh, racially tinged uh, films from back in the day. Um, you know, I just found it funny, right? I'm just like, oh, oh, right, okay, that's that's interesting. Nice sanitization there, right? But I started reading up on it, um, and I usually uh, get an, I get a daily uh, first edition uh, from the Guardian, right? It's like an email, you know, daily newsletter kind of thing, right? Um, and this one was done by Nina Omar. I'm not going to read it all, but um, I just wanted to read a detail from it because I wasn't aware that um, children's books. Um, children's literature are, you know, constantly updated and uh, and edited, right? So this isn't actually the first time Roald Dahl's uh, uh, fiction has been uh, edited. Um, apparently, read a quote here, um, in Roald Dahl's own Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Oompa Loompas were originally, quote-unquote, pygmies, Imported by Willy Wonka from, quote, the very deepest and darkest part of the African jungle uh, before they were changed to small orange people. Um, so I didn't know that. I was not aware of that. Um, so, you know, while I'm, I, I don't know, I feel, I feel in the middle with it. I guess with children's literature, it's a very different thing because, you know, use, right? Why, why, why would you, why would you be, uh, getting on someone about you know oh, oh see okay see uh, i'm assuming this um you know there's going to be maybe a uh a mention of salman rushdie who's been you know very vocal about this particular story very leading into the moral panic right um and you know I'll, you know quick question you know to him it's just like okay so do you want to have it back to Pygmies? Do you want pygmy and palumpas picked from the jungle? Like, what, 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 what are we doing here? You know what I mean? But with that said, let's just hop into the article. So this is um, uh, via the New Statesman by Anna Liskovitz. I'm going to say that right. Um, and it's called Roald Dahl's books are nasty by nature. Editing a world or t- editing a word or two won't make them nice. Um, so yeah, just actually just thinking about it, like Roald Dahl's shit is very yeah. It, when you think about it deep enough, it's like damn. Why is it so dark? But yeah, people fuck with it so hard. You know what I mean? Like, it's not nice. It's not. It's not. None of the books are nice. Like, Fantastic Mr. Fox is literally, just, and that's my favorite out of the bunch. Um, that's literally just like, uh, how do how would you say it? Um, looking out. Uh, it's basically, you know, just some just a a bunch of uh animals being like, you know, culled. Right? <laughs> it's just like like these three rich dudes just want to cull these animals. And the animals get their way, you know what I mean, after some, you know, quick thinking. But Jesus Christ, bro, if they try, they they fucking try to kill those bo- kill those boys, man. And that's a that's a weird weird thing to look at. But anyway, let's hop into the article. Um, Every writer should be his own censor. Uh, readers might be surprised to learn that this statement came from the mouth of author Roald Dahl in an interview given in 1989, less than a year before he died. Quote. I don't hold with all this, I'm a member of the Society of Authors stuff, he went on. They seem to think that, unlike other people, they have a God-given right to publish exactly what they want. All of us should exercise a degree of censorship. In my children's books, there's a wild degree of censorship, unquote. (laughs) 
what what uncensored for him is. Um, this was a character- characteristically hypocritical declaration from Dahl. His biographer, Donald Sturrock, writes that, quote, almost everyone who knew him agreed that he had precious little capacity for being his own censor. Few would agree that Dahl's gleefully vindictive books uh, bear the marks of censorship to, quote-unquote, a wild degree, uh, at least until recently. An investigation by The Telegraph has revealed that hundreds of changes have been made to the most recent editions of Dahl's books, published by Puffin, the children's division of Penguin, uh, which edit out or rewrites potentially offensive language. Uh, the changes range from the removal of outright racist stereotypes to the deletion of the word fat, gendered phrases, uh, be it chambermaid, females, or hag, and references to pink or white skin. Uh, in some cases, there are minor tweaks to one or two more uh, two words in a sentence. Others are a far more uh, are far more interventionist, uh, including entire songs rewritten in James and Giant Peach or new sentences added in The Witches, which explain that there are a myri- there are myriad reasons uh, why uh, why people might wear wigs. Some of the changes to the stories are understandable. Few would defend preserving sentences containing racist stereotyping in the BFG, for example. Uh, others are harder harder to understand. Where's the logic in removing the word black from a description of an item of clothing? Good point. The author, Salman Rushdie, there you go, uh, characterised the edits as, quote, absurd censorship, unquote, and said the publishers should be ashamed. A uh, little fun brackets here. D- Dahl did not show Rushdie the same support in his lifetime. He was one of the few writers who criticised Rushdie for publishing the Satanic Verses. Fun. Uh, a statement from the Royal Dahl Story Company, which manages the rights to his books, insists, quote, any changes made have been small and carefully considered, dot, 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 to ensure that Roald Dahl's wonderful stories and characters continue to be enjoyed by all children today. How fun. Uh, this overall overhaul of Dahl's work comes soon after the Royal Dahl's RDSC, I'm going to say that if it ever comes up again, uh, was, uh, was acquired by Netflix in 2021. Uh, here we go. Cementing a relationship that began when the streaming platform bought the rights to several of Dahl's works in 2018 and announced an imaginative story universe to come. I mean, it's not very imaginative if it, you know, it's from a book, but anyway. Adaption and adaptations, but anyway. Uh, in 2020, the RDSC uh, quietly apologised for Dahl's anti-Semitism on his website. Well, just a little apology on the website. Just, sorry, sorry, Sandy's miracle. Sorry he said that about you. So. Uh, although the company was keen to insist that the process of editing the latest editions of books began before the Netflix purchase, it feels unlikely the timing is purely coincidental. At the time of the acquisition, uh, Netflix said its dull universe uh, would emphasize the book's, quote, messages of the strength and possibility of young people and of the power of kindness are, uh, unquote, a description that does not seem wholly representative of Dull's naughty, chaotic stories. Another quote, a belief in the growing relevance of this message and its positive impact is at the heart of everything RDSE does, unquote. The problem for the RDSE is that the fiction of Roald Dahl is nasty. Therein lies both its appeal to children and what we see as parents or adults find jarring or even... Uh, or even... Okay, new statesman, sort out your fucking sight. Like, I'm trying to scroll and it keeps jittering. Like, I'm, I'm trying to read. Like it's, like, it's crazy. I'm trying to read and like, it's not... It keeps jittering back and forth and I'm trying to find out where I'm at again. Pissing me off. Anyway... Uh, or even repulsive about his work and his personal life. Dahl's biographers describe him as a quote-unquote bully, 
um, who could be misogynistic and anti-Semitic. Oh, nice. Double dip. Uh, his fictional characters are monstrous hypocrites depicted with vindictive glee from the flabby Aunt Sponge to the formidable Miss Trunchbull with her massive thighs to the inde- indecent bald clawed-fingered uh, claw-fingered villains of the witches. In the twist, he explicitly writes that bad thoughts show on the face, making it, quote, ugly and uglier until you can hardly bear to look at it, unquote. These vivid grotesques are often defined by their appearances in ways we might find misogynist, fatphobic, or simply cruel. It also makes them immediately uh, immediately legible and threateningly subversive to children. I guess, I guess. I don't know. I, just, I, I, didn't, I didn't read all of the books. Like, I didn't read the twists. Uh, don't think I read the witches. Um, I mean, I watched, I, I probably watched Matilda, the old one. Uh, didn't watch the new one. Um, but yeah. You know, I didn't. I didn't spin most of them. I just kind of liked. I like BFG. BFG was cool. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think it's just good. Past that, I don't. Really, I can't really think of any more. To be honest, uh, apart from the ones that've been named, um, James and Giant Peach probably did read it, but wasn't into it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not. The, I wasn't the biggest Dial fan, but I did. You know, I, did, I was a uh, uh, frequently um, uh, exposed to his works. Dahl was no stranger to such criticisms in his lifetime. He worked with editors to soften the violent, amoral landscape of his stories, sometimes pushing back against it, pushing back against their feedback. Uh, quote, I am not as frightened of offending women as you are, unquote. He wrote to one editor with the concerns about the sexism of the witches, uh, but often accepting changes too. The depiction of the Oompa Loompas in Charlie the Chocolate Factory, there you go. Reggie Black Pygmies from the African Jungle, happily enslaved by Willy Wonka, was deemed racist by contemporary critics. Revisions were made to editions throughout the 1970s. Still, Dahl rarely apologised for the sheer nastiness of his writing. Quote, uh, The only way to make my characters really interesting is to exaggerate, he said. If a person is nasty or bad or cruel, you make them very nasty and very bad and very cruel. If they're ugly, you make them extremely ugly. <laughs> uh, now, relevance, kindness and positive impact are the quantities corporations demand of children's media and intellectual property, and expanding uh, universes of content uh, content uh, designed to appeal to children and nostalgic adults are some of the most financial valuable assets in Hollywood. Of course, it all comes back to Hollywood, as long as it's valuable to Hollywood. Uh, in this media landscape, it is more appealing to retrofit existing literature to harmonise with these values than it is to invest in new stories. The Royal Dahl Story Company, RDSC, has, inv- has vested interest in uh, sanitising Dahl's fiction to ensure it remains relevant. For new generations, has un- uncontroversial mass appeal, and most importantly, keeps making money. Uh, the adaptations of Dahl's works uh, may be gent- gentler, lovelier, and more palatable than the originals, but cosmetic changes to his stories can alter, the, uh, alter their spirit. For better or worse, the books themselves will remain spiky, problematic and unapologetically nasty i mean similar to jk rowling now right um you know obviously the difference is that um there's not much well i don't know you tell me i don't i don't i never read harry potter that hard but um you know i didn't see much uh uh transphobia in there right <laughs> um, uh there were there were obviously the names were very Oh, 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 there's an anti-Semitism, you know, um, uh, suggestion. well, not suggestions, uh, uh, proclamations made by certain people, uh, obviously due to the, um, you know, the, especially the game, apparently, um, has some, you know, just 
uh, you know, but the but the I forgot what they're called. Um, but what the the character Warwick Davis plays in the films, right? You know, clearly, you know, just any Semitic, uh, you know, yellow flags at minimum, red flags at most, right? It's just a wee 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 any Semitism a little bit here, uh, you know, Kingsley Shacklebolt stuff like that. You know, it's just like you're scratching that you're scratching at you're scratching at a certain itch there, and it's a bit weird that you're scratching an itch. Um, like, can you not, just, you know, anyway, but it's similar to that, isn't it? It's similar in that fashion. Um, so, um, you know, I can imagine in a hundred years when, uh, J.K. Rowling is gone, uh, maybe the books are, will be, you know, switched up a little bit in some ways, uh, in the same way Roald Dahl's books have. Um, but obviously Roald Dahl's books are much more, um, OD when it comes to, and in your face when it comes to the, uh, the nature of them. Uh, J.K. Rowling's, I guess, uh, books are a little bit more, a little bit more fa- fantastical, of course. Um, but there, there's some stuff in there. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, I guess so. It's children's literature. You know what I mean? Like, if you want your child child to read the same shit you did, uh, that's you know that's always cool to do, I assume. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. So um, it's a weird one. So it's a weird one. Um, I don't think it's worth the moral panic. I really don't think that's, none of this is worth the moral panic. Uh, but um, yeah, here we are. Uh, moral pan, uh, moral paranoia, and of all people, the prime minister talking about it. So, you know, bye, hey, hey, and I'm talking about it as well. So, hey, man, it is what it is. Man, man, it's it's crazy. Like I've I've been trying to, I've, I've been stopping and starting this this uh, recording, uh, this overall recording, because like my as soon as I started recording, my eye, literally my right eye and not my left eye, just started watering. I'm a nose tired, just constantly sniffing. In. If you caught if you've caught a couple sniffles, then uh, that's my bad. Um, but yeah, I've just been like just oh fuck, it's doing my nothing. Uh, I was fine like an hour, excuse me, an hour ago, and then. As soon as I start recording, I'm just like sniffing, I'm sneezing, I'm like my eyes watering. It's just, ugh, it's horrible. Anyway, moving on. Let's hop into this second bit. Uh, this is the first of two media segments. Um, this is all about Shamima Bagoom. Uh, uh, yeah, hopefully I'm saying that right. Shamima. Hey, Shamima. Um, <coughs> and um, yeah, this is all about uh, her. And uh, actually, this is, well, this dropped in February t- 18th. Um, today, as I record, uh, she just uh, it just got announced that she was rejected uh, UK citizenship again. Um, I think that's the correct uh, term, but she was rejected in a court case. And um, yeah, so and this is this obviously goes off the back of you know everything Shemima and um, more closely to a a, re- a recent BBC uh, documentary actually, um, which explores the story of her. Um, she was on the documentary as well. Um, and uh, this is what the uh, article is basically about. It's more of a response to the BBC documentary and just an overall uh, critique of it, and also how the media has covered her. Um, it's kind of the reason why I've never actually talked about her on this pod. Um, it's probably like the first and only time I'm probably going to do it, um, because, I don't know, I just don't really like how media covers her. It's just very... There's a lack of nuance when they talk about her, and I'm not saying I'm, I, I don't I don't support or uh, you know I'm not really against 
I don't really have much opinion on it, to be honest, on the overall, you know, uh, case. You know, I'm not a lawyer, um, but you know, it's just, it's it's not, it, it's just one of those subjects I look at and I'm just like, I can, I can imagine uh, the media, the UK media, just not handling this in the correct way. So I just didn't really bother. I kept it at arm's length. But here I am talking about it. So uh, this is by uh, one of my favourite writers, Hardeep Mathoreau. Uh, coming through via Byline Supplement. Uh, it's called Shemaim Begum, How Politicians and the Media the media Ignore the British Roots of Radicalisation, uh, which is a very important wrinkle. And uh, again, don't think I don't think this is covered on like, you know, good morning Britain, right? <laughs> let's, let's be real. Let's be real. Anyway, let's jump right in. In a way, I felt kind of relieved was the was Shemai Begum's uh, response to seeing Britain for what she thought was the last time. It was 2015, and she thought she was on her way to join ISIS in Syria. Why? I asked out loud to the TV. As a viewer and journalist watching this month's BBC documentary, The Shemai Begum Story, on how the, uh, the now 23-year-old left Beth- Bethnal Green, age 15, to join the infamous terrorist group, I wondered why she had felt relieved. It's a question she wasn't asked. Begum's story, Begum's isn't a, is a story uh, that continues to fascinate and enrage with little desire for new ones. <laughs> see, this, see, Miss Mathari, this is why I love you, man. This is, this is why, this is why I love her because she, I literally said it and she just said it. It's, it's uh, like vibes, love it, love it, love it. Uh, for some, she knew exactly what she was doing when she left East London to join the organisation that had beheaded UK and US citizens in live broadcasts streamed around the world. For others, she was a victim of grooming and child trafficking who has paid the price with the revoking of her British citizenship. In the many re- media reports about Begum, uh, we are told she lacks empathy, how her three children her, are dead, her husband was an ISIS fighter, uh, and she and she said she saw uh, several severed heads in bins. Uh, that she is a narcissist adopting Western clothing in a bid to rehabilitate her image. But uh, there is very little about why she actually left Britain to join ISIS. This new documentary and uh, and an accompanying podcast by BBC Sounds. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to say this, and it's going to be kind of hypocritical, but you don't need a podcast for everything. <laughs> What 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 kind of podcast on a documentary about this woman? Like, what, what what's that going to be? Is that is it literally is it part of the obsessed with series? Obsessed with Shemaya Begum? What what are we doing here? I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel I feel like BBC is not the place, and BBC Sounds is not the place to have a podcast about this particular subject. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Uh, but anyway. Company podcast by BBC Sounds attempts to explore some of the complexities and does a fair job. All right, I'll take your word for it, Miss Mathari. Uh, but it too fails properly, uh, too properly interrogate the questions that are not no easy answers to. Uh, the issues, not excuses, worthy of excavation, but that point to no simple solutions. How does a person from minority background deal with growing up with conflicting identities and feeling they don't belong anywhere? Why do structural inequalities and racism cause the alienation and practical challenges they do? How, as a society, can we be culturally dynamic when difference is always hard? Over just six and a half minutes of a 90-minute documentary, Begumis asked what led her to join ISIS. Quote, I didn't feel British or Bengali, she, said, uh, she tells director Joshua Baker. I didn't feel Bengali because I didn't want to be Bengali. And I didn't feel British because I feel like I wasn't able to be British even though I wanted to be... Dot, dot, dot. 
you want to be accepted by society, but didn't I didn't feel like I was accepted by society either because of racism and other things. The racism and other things deserve further questioning, bar left unexplored. A small segment briefly describes Tower Hamlets, the borough in which Bethnal Green is situated, and the area with the worst child poverty rates in the UK. Wow, didn't know that. Uh, when, where Bengali and English are two are the two most commonly spoken languages, and the financial set, center of the city looks down in the near distance. It's a place where people like Bagoon can grow up uh, with a conflicted sense of identity. The documentary suggests, "quote It's really hard wanting to integrate into society, but your family holding you back." Uh, because of their uh, because their idea of being British is being loose and like immoral, she says. Uh, that's not why I wanted to be. Obviously, I just wanted to be. <clears throat> I just wanted to be a bit more free. She was quote depressed and quiet and obedient around her parents and another quote just not content with my life and in a way resentful to my family unquote. While many teenagers feel this way, Bagoom describes it as being oppressed. The difficulty of managing your family's cultural expectations and a culture with different expectations, uh, regardless of your own expectations, is not explored any further with her, although as a female journalist from an immigrant background, it would have been a key area I would have delved deep, deeper into, given how real I know such inner conflicts to be. I live them. Shout to Hardeep on that one. Uh, even though many people from a similar background with a similar inner conflicts uh, do not leave the country to join a terrorist group, what was different here? Begum explains how her friend uh, Sharmina Begum uh, fled to ISIS first. ISIS first. Uh, both girls came uh, became religious around the same time. Although the paradox of not feeling or wanting to be wanting to be uh, Bengali and then following Islam more religiously is barely touched on. How does one lead to another? This viewer was left wondering. Her friend told Begum uh, how we had an obligation to go and how. You won't be able to practice your religion properly in the UK. Dot, dot, dot. The UK is racist and it's Islamophobic. Dot, dot, dot. Why would you stay in a place that doesn't even want you? Uh, again, Begum is not asked to elaborate on what the racism and Islamophobia in Britain her friend was using as a reason to leave it to join a terrorist group entailed. The brief focus the documentary gave to some of the, these bigger questions was certainly thought-provoking, but could have gone much further. Shiraz Maha uh, director of the International Centre for Study of Radicalisation, uh, that's a long one, uh, explained how ISIS propaganda is well known uh, for the ultraviolence, but only about 8 or 9% of ISIS output was that ultraviolence. He continued, of course, that's the bit that captures the headlines and therefore is what we will know and associate with the movement, but that's not the only part of the picture that she will have been offered. ISIS also communicated that. Uh, this is where your sense of identity and belonging have their natural home, and this is where all these issues are resolved. What did Begum herself believe uh, she would find in Syria? Quote, This utopia that was created for me as someone who didn't know who she was at the time and who wanted an identity and who wanted to feel accepted by a community which I did not feel uh, back in the country. She says on the accompanying podcast, I'm not a monster, the Shemite Begum story. The subject is left there. But the established media and right-wing commentaria have seldom helped to create the conditions in which any deeper, more complicated discussion of Begum's story can take place. What? Really? The established media and right-wing commentaria didn't do that? They didn't expand and and uh, have a conversation uh, with nuance and care? Oh, surprising. Did not see that coming. Real curveball there. She was there for the media to obsess over, she says in the documentary, and to continue the story. Shortly after being found in a refugee camp in 2019 and having just given birth to her third child. Fuck. How old was she then? 
she must have been like you like still a youth, fuck. Uh, having just given birth of her child, journalists knocked on the door of the delivery room. Uh, I felt very used by journalists. They like they did not care about my mental health and where my mind was at the time, she says. One segment of the documentary shows ITV footage in which a reporter sits down with Begum, holding a newborn for a broadcast, excuse me, asking if she had any news about her case. When she just says she didn't, he hands her a copy of a letter sent by the UK government to her parents, stripping her, her of her British citizenship. She reads it aloud on camera, the shot zooming on, on the typeface. What do you think? The reporter asks. What Begum says she feels is a bit unfair and uh, on her and her son. The journalist tells her, but you've done this to your son. This is a consequence of your actions. Wow. I didn't realise that was the case on that. Uh, I think uh, that was a good boy in Britain, wasn't it? I think that's what the notable one was anyway. Maybe that was a different one. I don't know. Uh, and I'm willing to explore um, the implications for Britain's politics and society of the Shemai Begum story, it isn't just seen in the media, it appears to be policy actively being pursued by politicians. A review of the controversial counter-terrorism strategy Prevent, published this month, uh, confirmed the need for, quote, placing greater emphasis on tackling ideology and its radicalising effects rather than attempting to go beyond its remit to address broader societal issues, unquote. Despite the rising numbers of far-right attacks in recent years, the review found that, quote, uh, Islamist, Islamist terrorism, terrorism is severely underrepresented in Prevent, and that there has been a, another quote, institutional hesita- hesitancy to deal with Islamist ter- extremism, unquote. Despite widespread criticism of the strategy's focus on Muslims and the problematic and uh, ineffective nature of this, while broader societal issues, including identity and belonging, seem to abstract as concepts to do anything about, a number of practical real- realities feed into them, such as wealth, class, education, opportunity, health, and disparities in outcomes in these areas. <clears throat> but these are deep-seated uh, structural problems that go beyond one strategy. So it's deep-seated, not seeded. I thought it was deep-seated, but okay. Uh, I'll take, take that in uh, learn something every day. Uh, in, in her book, The Enemy Within, A Tale of Muslim Britain, conservative peer Baroness Saeed Ovasi uh, observes, quote, we are aware of the series of issues that are the drivers of radicalization. so why do we pick and choose only one ideology to focus on, speak about, and invest in, and tackle? Why is ideology more important than inequality, poverty, gang culture, Islamophobia, mental health? Uh, she writes that for politicians, it's easier to sell it's their problem rather than it's our problem, because focusing on Islamist ideology, quote, as opposed to statistics on discrimination, social mobility, criminality, mental health, and the legality and success of our foreign pol- or our foreign policy positions is much easier, unquote. Barsi makes, uh, makes clear the importance of identity, quote, the challenge all countries face in an in- interconnected, globalised world where our citizen all, citizens all carry multiple identities is how do these connections, this brotherhood and multiple bonds of loyalty play out on the face of conflict between our many, very many identities. For me, it's simple. Pick a, People pick a side that they believe uh, they have a strong connection to, and this isn't necessarily the side they actually have the strongest connection to, unquote. Good point. I feel like um, a lot of us do that. Um, yeah, definitely. But obviously in a less um, OD way, but, um, you know, a lesser unique way, let's say. But I still feel people do that. Uh, there are no easy answers to how these issues can or should be tackled. They are always complex, but sidestepping Britain's own shortcomings will get us no further in understanding why people like Begum did what she did. The reality is that Shemaine Begum was radicalised in Britain. Her story is not an experience, the explanation and the understanding of which uh, sits outside Britain. It has much to do with the country in which she was born and brought up as it is to do with a horrific terrorist group. 
Sitting in ISIS detention camp in Syria while, while politicians and the media continue to feed off uh, her shock factor, Shamayn Begum may be out of sight, but out of mind. As she told the reporter who found her in a refugee camp, she's, quote, a sister from London, unquote, and, quote, a Bethnal Green girl, unquote. Uh, that's good. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's one of those just um, topics that is just, um, I mean, like, like Miss Mathari's put in this whole thing. It's just, uh, it's just the media and, you know, politicians kind of just like, rinsing the shock factor and just like milking milking it milking it milking it milking it because as i as i talked about in the previous um topic people love a moral panic man people love a panic over just dumb shit and obviously it's saying dumb shit um but but you know it's panic over something that um it's panic but with no nuance and panic without any conversation and without any, you know, questions, hard questions asked, not just like, I don't know, just dumbass questions about Islamist terrorism and just like, you know, is she, is she a demon? It's like, no, like, <laughs> she made a decision, she believes she's made a mistake now, and again, I don't know, I've, I've not read too much up on the whole thing, I'm not, I'm not supporting her, or like, you know, or... Or saying she needs to die in a hell pit. Like I don't really know or care at this point. Um, I'm not her lawyer, right? I don't. I'm not getting paid to care. Uh, you know, I have other things to care about. But you know, it is a very interesting story, and it's a very interesting overall conversation. Um, but once again, and this is something that has been increasingly realised every time I talk about British media, they ask questions that are just not they don't dig into the issue enough they don't dig into the root they just uh, ask the same shit questions every single time and uh, it goes nowhere in the overall discourse okay we're gonna do it have to talk about this um, I, I have to say the word as well I hate this word next to the next to content this is one of my hated words I, I don't have many words I hate but this content envisage hate them all uh, influencer hate the word influencer sucks hate hate it as a occupation hate it as a word a general term if you if you tell me if you talk to me about influencers and you are either you know believe you're one or just uh, I don't know you're just talking to me about it, I'm gonna look at you a certain way. I just am. I'm sorry, but anyway, um, this is an article uh, called and again I might have to I might have to concede on this whole whole thing, um, but let's see how it goes. It's by Emily Hund uh, by uh, via Wired. Uh, it's called uh, Influencer. It's a real job. It's time to act like it. Oh, oh, shudders. Oh, shivers. Anyway, um, it's actually, uh, I don't know if this is an excerpt of her book or just like a, I don't know what you want to call it, but like a tee up uh, or, or, or assistance, uh, assistant piece towards the promotion of the book. Uh, but she does have a book out. It's called The Influencer Industry, The Quest for Authenticity on uh, Social Media. So if you want more of this particular content, uh, 
feel free, go for it. It's all you. But anyway, let's read the cycle. In July 2021, singer Olivia Rodrigo visited the White House as part of a campaign to encourage young people to get vaccinated. The visit consisted of a series of meticulously planned photo ops and social media friendly content creation, including meeting uh, with Vice President Kamala Harris while wearing uh, coordinating light pink suits and posing with President Joe Biden in matching aviator sunglasses. Rodrigo, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and Dr. Anthony Fauci made a video of them reading positive tweets about vaccines, drawing on a popular late night television trope in which celebrities read tweets about themselves. The entire visit was meticulously planned and open, openly acknowledged as an attempt to leverage Rodrigo's status as a quote-unquote Gen Z influencer to deliver a message to targeted population. He saw of public uh, relations stunts, pseudo-events, as uh, historian Daniel Borstin uh, called them, have happened for generations. The interesting thing about this one was who orchestrated it. It's not the usual squad of publicists and managers, but a man named La- Landon Morgado. Uh, whom the White House had recently hired for the job, recently hired for the job of directing creative partnerships. Uh, the, the White House created this uh, role and filled it with a person from Instagram's fashion team. Uh, illustrates just how far the influencer industry has come in the past decade as a cultural centerpiece. Imagine going from Instagram to the U.S. government, and not even U.S. government, the White House. Like that's, oh god, I can't, I can't. Uh, nuke this spot. You know what? I, I said it. I said it. I, I, I said not. Nu- I, I rephrased nuclear at the, at the start of the show. Fuck it. Nuclear. Nuclear. Please end end everything. Put it for me, please. People and organizations at every corner of society have embraced the idea that anyone can cultivate an audience by providing consistent and relatable content on social media, uh, and then leverage that audience's engagement as evidence of influence for social and economic rewards. The industry continues to grow at stunning rates. It was recently valued at 16.5 billion and greatly affects uh, the way information, goods and services are conceived of, marketed and sold. Influencers' work has become uh, critical to the commercial sphere and in shaping public discourse. But in its current form, the industry makes uh, exploration, uh, exploitation, sorry, uh, both by and of influencers, brands and social media companies too easy. Uh, influencers' uh, work creates uh, creates uh, enormous value for brands and social media companies, but their growing cultural and economic importance has not necessarily changed their precarious positions as workers. The platforms and brands to whom influencers beho- are beholden incentivize uh, them to always be on, quote-unquote on, frequently pivoting their skills and continually sharing personal stories, but in a monetizable way, when the definition of what is monetizable frequency changes, frequently changes. Booking campaigns and getting paid for them often happens at the mercy of others, and paid discrepancies and discriminations are rife. Meanwhile, brands and marketing agencies, while different, both act within the influencer industry to contract and promote influencers' work. Because there is a glut of aspiring uh, influencers and content, uh, brands and marketers have built uh, have built tools and practices to figure out who to work with and how. Prioritizing fishing over nuance, some of these tools systematically devalue queer people and people of color. Media researcher Sophie Bishop has found, of course, duh, 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 who who saw that coming? Over time, internal and external pressures have led to a variety of other consequences, including the speeding up of production and marketing cycles, products increasingly made for short-term use. 
and minimise creative risk taking uh, risk taking related to the need to do well on social media. In addition, power has shifted away from individuals and toward major social media companies. Under the banner of helping creators, giants like Meta buy out or rip off smaller businesses, uh, smaller businesses' tools and services, deraining competitors' prospects, and bolstering users' reliance on their own apps. Further, the lack of uh, transparency about each how each company's algorithms work causes many influencers and brands to operate under a constant threat of their visibility and thus income and potential. Uh, tanking without warning. Uh, Then, when it inevitably does, uh, they they must waste time and resources trying to figure out why there is no customer service line or HR rep, just thousands of people working in opacity. There are several potential avenues for protecting influences that would in turn help all of us confronting constant commercialism, commercialism and misinformation in our feeds. Prioritising fair pay and transparency in the industry would help incentivise influencers to share better quality products and information. But to even begin, government agencies, lawmakers and company leadership must understand that shrugging off the influencer industry as a Wild West, a term used repeatedly, serves only to obscure its problems and allow them to perpetuate. Uh, The industry's lawlessness at this point is a choice, one that can be changed. Legislative attention must be paid to major uh, platform companies Major platform companies lack of transparency and accountability to their users, as well as to the imbalance of power between these companies and those who attempt to compete with them. The Federal Trade Commission can shore up its rules and oversight with more consistent consequences for influencers and brands who obfuscate their relationships relationships, uh, so that consumers can clearly identify paid-for content. What, you didn't see the hashtag ad? Come on, guys. Open up your eyes. It's like it cannot be as simple as an hashtag ad. <laughs> I, I swear to you, I did not read that bit before I said it. I swear to you. <laughs> you have to believe me. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> okay. Uh, clear and conspicuous disclosure on sponsored content remains necessary. Influencers, influencers sell themselves as experts, as authentic personalities with an opinion. Increasingly, influencers have been identifying themselves as community leaders, indicating more consistent engagement with a particular point of view and the people who subscribe to it. Influencers should disclose the nature of their work in their bio. Doing so would help users understand that just because one post is not sponsored does not mean the influencer is, quote-unquote, just a regular person. They They are part of a new industry of cultural workers shaping our world, as those in older cultural industries like advertising or fashion have done for generations. And like those working in other industries, influencers experience constraints that shape their work. Oh, that paragraph just kicked me in the nuts. It's right though, isn't it? Like advertising, fashion, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same framework um, in terms of like you know just cultural uh, making a cult, uh, making a cultural stamp. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. It's true. Annoying, but true. Another path for change is labour organising amongst influencers. Oh, that'd be fun. Oh god, imagine that. Imagine oh, imagine just influencers unionizing. That'll be hilarious. That'll be outstanding. Oh gosh. Imagine them just like going on strike because Zara didn't pay them. Like, oh god, I want that so bad. I want that so bad. That'd be so funny to me. Anyway. Uh, imagine like imagine like just regular media t- trying to cover that. Like they'd have no fucking idea. Anyway. 
another path for uh, change is able. Uh, uh, but efforts have been limited. Uh, SAG AFTRA, uh, AFTRA's influencer contract and the development of the American Influencer Council are two optimistic developments. However, the union contract lo- uh, covers only video and voiceover work and thus incentivizes uh, influencers to pivot there, even if photography or text are their specialty. Uh, more options are needed. Union tr- and trade groups can help mature the industry into one that broadly recognizes and respects shared professional standards and their role in society, as other cultural industries like journalism and adfi- advertising do, rather than simply, quote-unquote, ro- what resonates. A robust trade organization sh- uh, could also help uh, resolve the disconnect between brands' desires for creative expression and efficient marketing. Much as the Council of Fashion Designers of America works to support rising designers, a strong, uh, po- a strong professional influencer organization can offer support for clear for early uh, career uh, creatives and set best practices for marketing firms and brands, including resources for continued internal assessments and policy changes to identify points of inequality and address them. Embracing influencers as value professional collaborators, contracted under equitable, uh, under equitable terms, would not only improve influencers' work lives, but uh, should enable and inspire brands to take bigger creative risks in product development and marketing while reducing the appeal of dubious transactional relationships. The influencer industry must work more cohesively internally to find a way to hold on to its benefits, entrepreneurialism, connection, network building, and creative expression, and reduce its harms. Uh, well, and until the institutions tasked with solving these issues do something, we must contend with a social media landscape that encourages us all to behave more like influencers every day, to spend more time scrolling, to post more frequently and authentically, uh, to shop or make our own lives look shoppable. Studying television in the early 2000s, media scholar Mark Andreevich famously outlined, quote, the work of being watched, unquote, or the way media that allows us to put ourselves out there still extract value from us. Even non-professional social media users should come to realise the work they do to generate profit for big tech and vote, advocate for themselves and use social media with that in mind. Well, this just... I love how the whole article just suddenly turned into, um, I don't know, little... little, little uh, socialist tinge there I'm, I'm here for it that was a uh, did not see that coming um but i'm definitely here for that and um you know all jokes aside about how much i hate the concept of influences and when i see one i just you know uh, you know what i mean just gives me the ick um makes me cringe it's true um you know they do need to um in my mind you know find a way to have uh you know, um, practices that, um, you know, benefits them and so they don't get exploited because a lot of these people, um, in some ways, in a lot of ways, do get exploited. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not personally into all of that, like I've been saying, um, but yeah, I, I get it. I get that they, you know, they do have, I do understand they do have the, um, some form of power now, uh, Allah, advertising, journalism, fashion, right? They do have an ability um, to uh, change certain things in society and uh, make things cool, right? And stuff like that. That's, that's definitely, you know, they're celebrities without the without the the celebrity bit, right? 
if that makes any sense. Like, so you know, Leonardo DiCaprio does all that uh, eco shit, right? And that's good, and that's all well and good. Um, but you know, it's a it's a little bit different when it comes to quote unquote influencers. Uh, it's a little bit different, and uh, in some ways, they have a lot more work to do. Like, celebrities don't have to be on social media; they really don't. Um, you know, Beyonce is barely on social. She, she's not on social media. She probably doesn't use social media. She just has social media accounts that people post to now and again. Like she doesn't openly use it like that, right? Surely not. Um, so yeah, these people do don't need to use social media, but obviously influencers, they do. And uh, you know, that's a that's a that's a whole mind fucking its own right. But um, at this point, yeah, man, go unionize, do all that social socialist shit. I'm here for that. I love how the article just turned into that. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, let's finish uh, with this uh, fun little life piece um, I found. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm not going to read it all. There's plenty of examples of these. Um, it's very long. Um, so feel free to look at this yourself. Um, it's very enlightening, very fascinating. I, lo- I love this kind of shit. I really do. Um, there's been many, you know, many of type. This is kind of like an archetype at this point of a certain article. Um, but, you know, tips from old people, life tips from old people. Um, in particular, this one is uh, people that are over the age of 100 uh, that have reached their centenary. And um, they basically just give you life lessons. So this is uh, by Philippa Kelly with additional reporting by Kitty Drake via The Guardian. And it's called Keep Your Eyes Open and Leap Into the Future. 100 centenari- Centenarians? Centenarians? Is that how I say it? Uh, 100 tips for a life well lived. So I'm going to just go through them. Go through a few of them um, until the end of the just till the end of the show. So if I have any you know comments on any of them, um, and uh, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go just gonna scroll through idly. Uh, whatever takes my interest, I'll I'll probably give a read. But I highly encourage you guys to read yourself. I'm not gonna read all hundred obviously, but I'll get to a few of them and uh, let's, let's see what we got. Um, so I'm liking this one. To start off, uh, Dorothy Marley, uh, 102, fuck. Just even thinking about being 100 years old is fucking crazy to me. Like, I'm, I'm about to, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a few months away from 27, and, you know, that's crazy. Like, 100? Fuck. Can't imagine it. Anyway. Uh, Executive Secretary, uh, Toronto, Canada. Okay, so what's that? what's you saying? Uh, try to get through each day without hurting anyone. Feel good about yourself. I had my hair done the other day, and when the hairdresser showed me, I said to her, I could fall in love with myself all over again. And last of all, have a good sense of humour doesn't, having a good sense of humour doesn't hurt. I love that, trying to get through each day without hurting anyone. I feel like that's a very hard thing to do for some people. Um, you know, if you're, if you're at a you know, certain place of work, um, if you're like a boss, you know what I mean? Like to try to not hurt people's feelings, being, being in the you know, a capitalist system, like, shit, that must be hard for some people, um, but I feel like that's definitely, and I think I definitely succeed in that, um, a lot of the time, partly because I don't talk to many people on the daily, um, but, yeah, I feel, and I've, I've, I definitely know people that have failed me on that front, um, have made me feel like shit at the end of the day, and, um, you know, it's not great, but, um, they don't know that most of the time, do they, unless you say so, so, if anyone, if everyone tried to do that and everyone tried to go by that f- framework, I've, yeah, the world would definitely be a better place. So that's um, 
Solid Logic. Solid Logic. Shout out to Dorothy Marley. 102. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, Edmund W. Gordon, uh, 101, uh, who is John M. Musa, Professor of Psychology Emeritus, as I say it, uh, Yale University, New York. Uh, So he says, the greatest achievement of my life was that I married the right woman. I married her when I was 26, and when she died, I was 95. So we had 70 years together. This is self-congratulatory, but I sometimes think it's not just about me and the right people. You have to do right by them to bring out the best in them. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, we we are we're a species that you know need each other, right? Um, to in order to survive, right? I go to the corner shop and somebody is providing me with goods um, to cop so I can keep moving, um, health wise, right? But also in terms of you know just general day to day life, right? I have my mother, I have my sister, right? I have a few friends that I can confide in with certain things, right? You need those people. Excuse me, you need those people. Um, and yeah, that's cool. of course, that makes that makes complete sense um, in terms of that. And big ups to 70 years. That's, that's, our, that's our standard to think about. Oh, here's one. Here's a great one. All right, Doris Martin, 102. Um, auxiliary auxiliary ter- territorial service veteran and shorthand typist from Essex. Uh, keeping your mind active is important. I watch quiz shows, read murder mysteries on my Kindle, and play Scrabble. I win about 50% of the time. Having family around you is also important. I have four children, nine grandchildren, and six, soon to be seven, great-grandchildren. And I still remember everybody's birthdays. That's nice. That's nice to think about. And, uh, definitely, um, definitely in terms of keeping your mind active, that's kind of why I do this podcast in a way, right? It's just to keep my mind active in some ways, and keep reading, and, uh, keep you know, taking note of what's going on in the world and uh, keeps you keep definitely. I mean, even taking note, t- taking note of any type of politics like keeps your mind active. Trust me on that. Like whether it's positive, I do not know. That's that's t- up to up for debate. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's go for a couple more uh, for the end. Uh, let's try this one. Sokola or Radinich, hundred and one, who unfortunately died on twenty eighth November twenty twenty two, survived by two children, four grandchildren, and three great grandchildren. Uh, homemaker in Zagreb, Croatia. Uh, what contributed to my longevity? Nature, food, singing in a choir until my 80s, and dancing. You need to have lots of patience and to endure some things. You shouldn't quit right away. For happiness, health is the most important, and love for other people, wealth is in last place. Interesting. I feel like a lot of people, you know, put wealth very high, um, especially, you know, if you're not white. <laughs> That's definitely a thing. Um, but yeah, I can, I can, I can vibe with that in terms of just health and, you know, just, uh, keeping that up. Uh, but I mean, in this case in the world, um, you know, sometimes health isn't possible to keep right, you know, uh, depending on where you're at. George Watkeys, this one's uh, nice and short, 101 RAF wireless operator and dentist, uh, Vale of Glamorgan, Wales, shout out to Wales, uh, tipple of whiskey keeps you going. Uh, go to bed early, do lots of singing, don't miss out. If any opportunity comes along, take it. Make the most of our, make make the most of every day. That's uh, nice and simple. Uh, Guy Warren, uh, 101, an artist from Sydney, Australia. Uh, I still, fun fact, they don't say Struth over there. Who knew? Uh, learn something every day. I still spend as much time as possible working in my studio. I find it essential to my well-being to look at something I have made, see the mistakes, and realise how much better I could do it next time. 
keep an up-to-date and working bullshit detector somewhere handy. <laughs> you will need it many times. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. That's a really good one. I like that. And I think I'll leave on this one. Uh, this is Morton Mintz. Uh, spelled M-I-N-T-Z. Uh, 101. Journalist uh, from Washington, US. All my needs, and they're relatively modest, are met. Does anybody else, does somebody else have more, more money, bigger house? I couldn't care less. I have a loving family, that's really important, and I couldn't have had a better, happier marriage. My advice would be to be not to be, be not to be, goddamn, uh, beset by envy. And, um, yeah, that's very easy to do, very easy to do, especially in this world of, like, you know, social media and that. Definitely easy to, to just get really down about all of that and uh you know see yourself as not doing enough and you know you start beating yourself up about it i do it as well you know what i mean I'm, I'm culprit um but yeah man you're on your own path you always are and um the you increase i feel like as even as i you know as i said you know pushing 27 you start to realize that um you know making it to the top of whatever you're doing you know what i mean it's it's cool but it's all about those things you do in between that as well, uh, um, you know, including stuff like like I do, do photography, do this podcast, go to shows, um, and other things, you know. And uh, you know, sometimes I do it alone, sometimes I do it with people. Either way, I don't really mind um, as long as I'm doing something. Uh, another one in there was uh, just stop, don't stop moving, and uh, I. I take that in very very wholeheartedly and very literally um i'm always if anyone says am i doing anything i literally just say i'm always doing science <laughs> and it's true i'm always doing something whether it's productive or not is you know up for debate depends on who you are um but for me i feel like i'm always doing something i'm always thinking about something i'm always thinking about uh, a new idea i'm always thinking about a, a, an existing idea or I'm listening to music and I'm, um, you know, developing my taste on that front and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah. All right, let's finish there. That was nice. Um, again, that was only a few of a hundred. So feel free to um, go through that and get some lessons on there. Um, and yeah, ladies and gentlemen from the Fifth End Podcast Network, we made it. We made it to the end. Jesus Christ, there's so many. There's going to be so many pauses in <laughs> as I edit <laughs> to cut out. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen from the Fifth End Podcast Network. I'm a child saying this has been what's good. Intro music was too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Chill Music for Biz Use the Track. You can find their links in the full show notes. And thanks to a friend of Ivy Nappy Hire for the to use Charismatic in the Interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.